You're listening to the James Faith in Jesus Work Series, preached by Pastor Dan Christians at Maple City Baptist Church in Chatham, Ontario. For more information about Maple City, please visit us online at maplecitybaptistchurch.com. I'd like to just get it straight into the text tonight. I'm going to read the passage here, and then we'll look at it in a little while. James chapter 1, we'll begin reading at verse 21, and we'll read to verse 25. So James chapter 1, verse 21. Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness, and receive with meekness the engrafted word, which is able to save your souls. But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any man be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholds himself, and goes his way, and straightway forgets what manner of man he was. But whoso looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. As I was preparing for the sermon tonight, I asked myself this question. Is there any part of the text that is unclear? Is there any part of what James just said that that requires a great deal of explanation for it to be clear to us what God is expecting and what God is telling us here? Um, The only thing I came up with was superfluity of naughtiness. I mean, that's that's a little weird. And that just means an abundance of badness, like abundance of evil. And so put away from yourselves the, the really bad stuff. It seems clear to me, you know? Be doers of the word and not hearers only. I think that anybody can understand that. I don't think that we need to take a five-year-old and explain what it means. When you hear what the Word of God says, do it and don't just hear it. It's pretty clear. Whoever looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues therein, not being a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. I think that is very clear to all of us what it means. And my fear for myself, for my wife, for my children, and for my church family is that we hear the word and it does nothing. My fear would be that we don't have to wrestle with the text. There's so much that is abundantly clear to us that we're not purposefully choosing to ignore it. We're not wrestling on whether we agree or not with with the interpretation of the text. We're not trying to justify ourselves. We're able to just come and hear the preaching of the Word of God, or or open our Bibles and read the Word of God, and basically check out, and and basically have everything that's said go into one ear and out the other, and we don't even realize that it's happening. I don't think that this text requires a lot of work. In fact, I considered the idea of reading the text and then walking back down, and really being like, hey, it's clear enough, not going to do it, sorry. We're here already, so we may as well spend some time. But I really think that it's possible to to become sermon-proof. We have this ability in our culture to train people in ways that weren't previously possible. We have this ability for any person who desires to be a preacher of the word to get great training by many people online and not have to really go a long distance to do that. We have the ability to go on the internet and listen to the greatest preachers of of our time 
preach sermon after sermon after sermon. And so we can fill our, our minds and our ears with the Word of God constantly in ways that, is, that should be very helpful and walk away from that almost unchanged. And that is terrifying. It really is. It's, it's, it's scary to think that there are people that are able to hear the Word over and over and over again and never become doers of the Word. Never become changed because of what they hear. The same seed from the same bag can be thrown on a variety of different soils and produce a variety of differing results. You take the same seed and throw it on good ground and throw it on concrete and throw it on rocky ground and throw it on ground that has weeds and thistles all, and you can find completely different results, but it's the same seed. And I fear that the concrete doesn't know that it's concrete. And I think that's part of what this text is getting at for us tonight. I think, honestly, some of us have become hardened to the word as it is read and as it is preached. We've become accustomed to it. We take it for granted. We assume that we've heard it all before. Once we have the knowledge of it, we no longer ask questions about whether or not we are acting in obedience to what we know. Once you've heard a sermon, maybe even been convicted by it, and you hear something similar again, check out. You've heard that before, because you know that already. Because what's being said tonight, or this morning, or whenever it is in the group, it doesn't apply to you anymore, because you know that already. And the problem is, when you read the Word of God, what you find is that it repeats itself over and over and over and over and over again. Why? Because we need the repetition. We need to be reminded. It's not about teaching you something new that you don't know again. It's about checking out whether or not you're living in obedience to what's being taught. Whether you're obeying what you already know. And honestly, sometimes, I think I'm not. I think we're not. We ought honestly to ask ourselves the question, what kind of soil am I? The word of God must be accurately interpreted. It must be clearly communicated. And I was thinking about my, my Sunday school class this morning, and I thought, I don't know if I did that part, <laughs> clearly communicate. I think that maybe some accurate interpretation, but not a lot of clear communication. But those things need to happen. But it also must be purposefully applied. Right? The first two may be on us, maybe on whoever stands up to preach. But the last is on you. The Spirit will work. Right? And so I think sometimes what we do is we expect or we beg or we whatever the spirit to say lord um just just do something with me and we never take any initiative in the process right the spirit is not on holidays it's not like some sundays he shows up and some sundays he doesn't show up it's like the spirit of god is in you all the time and so when the word of god is open there is opportunity for the spirit of god to work in your life the question is are we responding to the work of the Spirit in us. Are we responding as God expects and wants us to respond? This is God's way. If God wanted to, he could force anything to happen. He could make you think and do and act any way he wanted to. His way is to give his word, provide you with his Spirit so you can understand his word and apply it, and allow you to respond to it. And if we're not responding to it as we ought to respond, And we hear sermon after sermon, and we read every day in the Bible, and we never get anything from it. It's a problem. So, 
Here we are. Let's do this. James chapter 1 is a beautifully written, immensely practical passage of Scripture for us. James is clear and to the point. He does not mince words. His arguments are not confusing. He says it like it is. Verse 21 says, Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness, and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. Set aside dirtiness, badness, wickedness, evil, impurity, abundance of sinfulness, and receive. That's a command. Set aside and receive. It's not just osmosis that it's going to happen. There's a command to set aside evil, and there's a command to receive the word. And it's somewhat of an action as we do it. You cannot receive the word of God that brings salvation to your souls without repentance. It it can't happen. We understand that it's, it's faith, faith in Christ's death for us, but also repentance of our sin. There's no point of having faith in Christ's death if you really think your sin is not an affront to God. If you really think your sin is not keeping you out of heaven, what's the, what's the point of faith? And so we turn from our sin and from our self-righteousness, our desire to justify ourselves, and we turn to Christ. That's repentance. But here it's very clear that we need to be laying aside. And I don't think this is only applying to a person who's unsaved, who needs to lay aside those things and turn to Christ for salvation. I think it's also lay aside the sin in your life and receive with meekness and grafted word, which is able to save your souls or bring life to your soul or help your soul to grow as it's supposed to, to be healthy. The word of God brings life, but it's not going to work if we'll never let go of the sin that we so love in our lives. You can't hold both at the same time. He says not only to receive it, but he says to receive it with meekness. This is just humility. When I'm given a document to edit, and I've had a few people in the past ask me to edit some type of document that they're handing in as a project for school. And so when you're given the document, one of the things you want to know is whether you're supposed to be correcting it for spelling, spelling and grammar, or if the person wants sentence structure looked at, or if they're looking for even, like, correct my ideas, if my ideas are wrong. So you want to really know what they're expecting. And so when you do that, you read the paper, and you read it as though you're superior to it, in a sense. Does that make sense? So, so it's not that, that you're superior to the person who wrote it, but that you're supposed to be the one that's able to look at this paper and determine what is right and what is wrong and which parts need to be changed. And far too often, that is how we approach the Word of God. What parts do I need to alter a little bit in my mind so that this thing makes sense according to what I think is right? And that's not how we approach God's Word. We are never, ever superior to the Word of God. We allow God's Word to change us. If the text indicates that we are wrong in our pursuits, our pursuits ought to be changed. If the Bible reveals sin in us, it should not be excused or justified. It should be confessed and repented of. If God's word confronts us with deeply held convictions, we should learn to hold those convictions with less authority than the word of God. Reading the Bible should at times be uncomfortable. God's word should confront us And it should tell us that things are wrong that we previously thought weren't wrong. It should tell us some things that we're doing are wrong. Some of our attitudes are wrong. It should hurt a little bit when we read it. And if it never hurts, we're not reading it well. We're not listening to it well. 
Because if it's true that the word of God is perfect and it presents God's perfect and pure and holy guide for our life, desire and will for our life, and that we are imperfect and sinful, then if if we never butt heads a little bit with God's word, then we're not reading it the way it's intended to be read. Because this thing is supposed to change us. It's supposed to mold us. And so we've got to be careful. We should be reading it with meekness, receiving it with meekness. It's able to save your souls. Absolutely it is. It's able to bring eternal life, new life to your souls, and I think it continues life and health and growth, and your walk with Christ is really dependent upon how you're receiving and listening to his word. And I want to make something clear. I'm not saying that just because... I keep saying the sermon or the preaching. I'm not saying that just because the pastor says it, that it should be received as gospel. And the pastor would echo exactly that statement. We're not thinking that because we say it, you need to receive it. But if what is being said is in line with God's word, don't try and justify it. And be careful not to dismiss it just because you don't like our personality or something like that. Okay? I am aware that there are times that as pastors, as preachers, we can get in the way of God's word. And I don't want to do that. But you need to be careful not to think, well, just because Dan said, or just because pastor said, or just because this person said it, if it's in the Bible, then let it change you. And that's really the word of God is what we're, what we're hoping to convey here. Our opinions are of no importance. Verse 22, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. His command could not be clear. Do, don't just hear. It bears repeating. Do, don't just hear. Do, don't just hear, right? Do what the Bible says and don't just listen to it. The Bible was not meant to fill our heads with knowledge, but to transform our lives. You've heard that so many times. I wonder how often it's actually happening. I think so often it's filling our heads with knowledge. And a a Bible that is filling our heads with knowledge is a poorly used Bible. There is a danger here that's being confronted by James. It's the danger of self-deception. Don't deceive yourselves. And herein lies the problem. Because a person who is self-deceived usually doesn't know it. That's the whole idea, right? They don't know that they're deceived. And so we have to figure out some ways to learn to tell if we are actually deceived. If I told you that last week I watched a documentary on Netflix, and in that documentary I determined that I would never ever eat sugar again. I mean, that sugar was evil, and it was killing me, and, and, and all those things. And I, I've watched a documentary like that before. But if I determine, you know what, this is, this is right, and I was telling you, like, I'm, I got a new diet, I'm changing my life, you might look at me and be like, okay, maybe he's a little crazy, maybe he's lying to me, or, or maybe he's really serious about this, that he's going to do it. But you don't really know a whole lot about how that documentary affected my life until, you know, you watch me for a while. But if I was to come to you and I was to say, hey, listen, I watched this documentary on Netflix and it told me to never eat sugar again, I'm, I'm never going to do it. It's just like sugar, seriously. It's evil. It's terrible. Nobody should ever put sugar in their mouth ever again. You would think I was insane. I would be completely self-deceived, right? That's the picture of the Christian that continues to live in this sin that the Bible so 
clearly condemns. It's a picture of the Christian who is touting the, the wonder of God's word and the purity of God's word and the perfection of God's word and at the same time living in sin and, and living against what the word of God says. And we don't see it. We do that at times, but we don't see it all the time. This is, I'm feeling like this is a really big downer sermon. I don't want it to just stay there right now, but I feel like it is right now. But we should be confronted, I think, at times with, with things like this. There's an amazing quote by Martin Luther. Is that the Diet of Worms in 1521, and he was called at this meeting where he was kind of called, and he was going to be judged by all of these priests and members of the Roman Catholic Church hierarchy, and he was called upon to recant the books that he had written. He, he had about 25 writings at this time that they held before him, and they, they called him to recant of these things that he had written in the books. And so in response, Luther classified the writings into three categories. The first category was those that were received even by his enemies, and so he didn't need to reject those, clearly. The second category was those which attacked the abuses, the lies, and the desolation of the Christian world and the papacy, those he could not safely reject because he believed if he did, he would encourage the abuses to continue. He said, if I now recant these, then I would be doing nothing but strengthening tyranny. The third group of books were his attacks on individuals. He apologized for the harsh tone of these writings. And if you, if you read Luther, you know he's got a harsh tone like all the time. But he's pretty funny. He apologized for the harsh tone of his writings, but he did not reject the substance of what he taught in them. If he could be shown from the scriptures that he was in error, Luther continued, he would reject them. And then at the end of this, this speech, he said... These words, which I, I have hanging in my office. He said, my conscience is captive to the word of God. I cannot and I will not recant anything, for to go against conscience is neither right nor safe. Here I stand. I cannot do otherwise. God help me. Amen. And so I think that's a wonderful thing. It's incredible that he'd say that. And so we would stand here and hear that and picture this scene where he stands up and he boldly proclaims that his conscience is captive to the word of God and he can't do anything else. And, and like in the face of all these men that are about ready to kill him. And that's what they ultimately want to do with Luther. And, and we, I don't know, like something in me just like shouts, yay, <laughs> like hallelujah, amen. That's awesome that, that he did that. But when's the last time that we allowed the word of God to change us? So what I'm saying is, we can be so excited about the idea of the word of God being perfect and powerful and awesome, and and still at the same time, sometimes, not allow the word of God to change us. Like, we like the idea of it sometimes more than the reality of it. I wonder what it would be like if we were just so excited about how God was using his word to change us. That getting up every day and reading the Bible was a time that we got into it to to find out how God would transform our minds today. How God would change our behavior today. If it wasn't just this mantra of like, yeah, sola scriptura, we're all about the Bible. We're Bible people. And we should be. But we should also be allowing the Bible to change us, not just filling our heads with knowledge. So we should be captive to the word. And that should mean that it's changing us. We believe ourselves to be spiritual because we have heard the word. And somehow in our brains, we think that knowing is being. But knowing is not being. 
doing is being, at least according to this, this text. If you're being the right person, the Christian that God has called you to be, you must be doing the word. We have deceived ourselves. Christ disdained this type of self-deception, and he called it out often. In Luke chapter 6, verse 46, he says, Why call you me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things which I say? Why do we say it's true? Why do we call him Lord if we don't listen to him? In Luke eleven twenty eight, he said, But yea, rather, blessed are they that hear the word of God and keep it. And it was in reference to somebody who was very close to his mother. And he said it's actually better to be a person who hears the word of God and keeps it. John 13, 17, he said, If you know these things, happy are you if you do them. Matthew 7, 21, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he that does the will of my Father which is in heaven. Jesus didn't let people off with, well, you know a lot of Bible. Right? And he was being confronted by Pharisees who had much of the Bible memorized, much of the Old Testament memorized. And yet, that wasn't okay. If it hadn't changed them, it had done nothing, none of the work that it was intended to do. This is a huge problem. We call him Lord, but we do not obey. We believe we are happy and blessed because we know the word, but do not keep it. One of the funniest scenes I've seen in a TV show comes to my mind often when I see people who I think have no self-awareness. You've probably met people like this where they, they really have no idea how they're perceived by the rest of the world. They just are who they are, and everybody knows that it's kind of crazy, but nobody says anything because it's like, let's just let this person live in their own little world, right? And so there's a, a TV show where there's a, a character who is the most unself-aware person you could possibly comprehend. And this person who has no self-awareness looks at another character in the show and says, that person doesn't know, it is so non-self-aware, right? It looks at the other person and, and actually he's looking at the camera, but he's, he's telling the camera about this person. He's saying, this person has zero self-awareness. And it's hilarious because the person saying it has even less. And that's often true for us. Um, we see it in other people, but we do not see it in ourselves. Uh, at Andy's wedding, there was this kid that got up for seconds. Except he got up for seconds before, like, the third table had finished being served. There was six or seven tables there to be served. And I kept pointing out to him, like, over and over again, that the other tables hadn't eaten yet. And Dan is sitting beside me, he's standing beside me in line, and he's giggling. <laughs> and then he said... I hope I'm not one of those people. But that's true. He's like, but then he said, I'm sure I am sometimes. Man, that, that's kind of a sad thought. That at times, we are this kid who is standing in line being clearly told, I mean, I think it's pretty clear, that he should get out of line because he's already eaten and nobody else has, but just pff, way over his head. And I wonder how often it's way over our head because we're just not paying attention. And so here's a few questions that might help. Number one, when is the last time that you were convicted to change your behavior and followed through on that conviction? When's the last time that you were reading God's word or, or sitting under the preaching of God's word and you were convicted? I mean, God's word got a hold of you. For a moment there, you saw that God was speaking through his word to you, and then you acted on that. When is the last time you were corrected by the word 
and did not justify yourself or make excuses. Explain the text away. Explain to your own mind why you do what you do. When was the last time you were humbled by God's word? Not just that you recognized it to be true, you gave mental assent to it, but you actually had to humble yourself as a result. Have you become an expert sermon taster? I think there are a lot of those going around. You got your favorite preachers. I know I have mine. You got your favorite, favorite guys, and you know what type of preaching you like and, and how you like to be done, and, and you really enjoy the whole process, but it's not changing you. You're just getting these little tidbits here and there. You have a swollen head with shrunken hands and shrunken feet. That's a sad picture. Verse 23. Here is the picture of the person described in verse 22. For if any man be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholds himself and goes his way, and straightway he forgets what manner of man he was. This is the example. The man walks into the bathroom. He looks in the mirror. He sees that he has toothpaste all over his cheek. His hair is disheveled. He is not showered in months. His teeth are jam-packed with the strawberry jam that he had for breakfast. He's wearing nothing but dirty trousers. He looks in the mirror. He sees all these things at a glance. And then he walks away and he forgets he saw anything. He goes to the grocery store. He waves at his neighbors. He goes to an important meeting at work. He goes to pick up his kids from school takes his wife out on a date at a fancy restaurant, all the while with toothpaste on his cheek, his hair disheveled, and just trousers on. Mm. <laughs> we think that person was crazy. That they, they would be nuts. They'd be insane. Because they had completely forgotten their appearance. It would be just so foolish to do something like that. Why? We have mirrors everywhere, don't we? I mean, ladies know the importance of being having a mirror close by at all times. How many, no, I'm not going to actually do this, but I was wondering, how many people have mirrors in their purses? I mean, this is something that, that happens, right? We have mirrors in bathrooms. We have mirrors. No, you don't have mirrors in your bathroom. <laughs> oh, in your purse. Okay, that makes more sense. Um, like, you, you get in your car, and they, they used to not have those little visors where you flip them down, but everybody's always grabbing the thing, and, like, your wife would grab it, and you couldn't see out the back for a while, and so they realized they needed to put mirrors there, too, and there, there are just mirrors everywhere because you understand the importance of, of checking out because you never know what went out of place. My mirror is often my wife because she just, like, tells me, hey, you got this thing in your tooth, and, you know, you're, you didn't do your hair again, and I'm probably feeling that way right now. I hate doing my hair, though. But, and then my wife and I have this little thing where she'll look at me and she'll smile real big. And I know she's telling me, check to see if I have anything in my teeth, right? So we, we get that this has to be done physically often. And the picture is this person who is so foolish that they look insane. They look so bad. There's so many things that need to be changed. And yet they're able to look at that and be confronted with that and then walk away and change nothing. Change nothing about their appearance. Just go about their day pretending like they look like Brad Pitt. I mean, that, that's, this is what this person is doing. And so often, the Bible here is a mirror. It is, 
God's word shows us who we really are. It tells us who we really are. It tells us what, why we do what we do. It exposes our hearts. It exposes our motives. Like God's word does it on a regular basis for us. It's supposed to be doing this, at least. And yet, what we do is we look at it and go, yeah, okay. Whatever. All day long, pretending that I didn't just read that, pretending I didn't just hear that, that I don't know that. And it's just as foolish not more so. It doesn't have to be that way. Verse 25 gives us the example of the man who doesn't do that. It says, but whoso looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. Here's a man who does not soon forget his appearance. He first looks, and the word looks is pericupto. It means to bend or to lean in or to look into. And so the idea here is that it's a purposeful look into the word of God. It's not just, well, the word is there, and so I'm glancing at it as I go by. It's a, I really want to see this and know what it's saying. And so he's looking into the perfect law of liberty, and not only that, he's continuing therein. So what he says here doesn't just leave when he gets up and finishes devotions. It, he continues in what he's read. He takes what he's read with him throughout the day. We should do that, right? We should be taking God's word with us. We should be thinking about it. It should be changing our behavior and coming to our mind. We just don't let that happen like it should. And I love here what it's called. It's called the perfect law of liberty. What a great word for the Bible, right? I mean, it's perfect, it's complete, it's sufficient. So it's not like we have to look every morning from God for a new word. We know that what he's given is perfect, it's complete. And it's, it's a law, so it's a guide, it's, it's doctrine, it's truth, it's what we need to know for this life. And it's the, not just a law, though. It's not a law of bondage or anything like other laws. It's a law of liberty. It's a law of freedom. It's the path to peace and to joy. The great name for the Bible. And so what we're being called to do is to look into the, to the Bible that's written by God's word, that is written by our Heavenly Father, that is perfect, complete, sufficient for your life and for your eternal life. And, and not only that, it's, it's not just a rule book or, or some way of God, that, you know, the creator keeping you in bondage. This is a law of liberty. It's a law of freedom. This is, it shouldn't be such a task. The difference is he looks and he continues therein. He does not forget what he's heard. And I think sometimes we become so used to forgetting that it doesn't phase us anymore. Ignoring the word, disregarding the word, just becomes second nature. We must look at God's word and obey it on purpose. Sometimes that means there's work to do. I actually like how in this, this time, when he says, not being a forgetful here, but a doer of the word, it's actually work here, doer of the work. And so the idea that there's something that must be done as a result. We should be doing this on purpose. This, it requires labor, action, a change of behavior, and sacrifice. And he goes on and he finishes by telling us that it is this man that will be blessed in his deed. And that is a promise. Right? I mean, this is a promise given by God where he says, if you will be a person who looks into the law of liberty and you continue in that law, 
not forgetting, but doing what, what, what the Bible says, you will be blessed in your deed. You will be blessed in your work. What you set out to do will be blessed. Now, does, that's not talking about financial blessing. It's not prosperity gospel. It's not that you're going to be healthy all the time. But there's some kind of blessing that you will get that only comes this way. This is spiritual health. It's spiritual growth. That God will bless you in your relationship with him. And, and it's a wonderful promise. It's a promise that he comes back to in James chapter 4. Right? I mean, there's... A, there's the ability, we have the opportunity to walk closely with our creator. And we miss that so often because we're just so distracted by other things. But if we would get rid of those things and really focus on him, there'd be some sweet fellowship there that, that we, we don't even get, well, we certainly can't get elsewhere, but we don't even comprehend. There is nothing like being right with the Lord. And that's what this allows us to, to do, to be. God means for the Bible to transform us, to help us to grow. And that is regularly. That is not once a year. That's not when you go to a conference every once in a while or, or that there's a certain preacher that you listen to. It's really supposed to be when we open up the word of God, we, we have the opportunity there to grow. He confronts us with something to help us grow. The problem may be the delivery of the seed. Maybe it's not being clearly communicated. Maybe it's not being clearly interpreted. But the problem also might be with the soil. And that's really the question that we have to ask ourselves. How is our soil? Maybe we're not hearing at all. Maybe we hear, but we ignore. Maybe we hear and disobey. Maybe we don't even consider whether or not we're hearing. Maybe it's just routine for us, habit. Or maybe we hear it, We know it changes us, and we just have a problem with obedience. All of those things must be corrected. I want to conclude tonight by reminding you of the priceless gift we have. What what an amazing thing that the Creator has given us a book like this. What an amazing thing that we get to take one home. I mean, that there's so many copies available, that, that we get so much opportunity to study what God has said. I implore you not to just dutifully read it, not just to listen to lots of sermons, not just to attend conferences, but to humbly sit under it and meekly receive it, to put into practice what you learned. We could do a whole lot more with a whole lot less preaching if we would just do those things. Um, I'm actually done with telling people they have to read the Bible every day. I think that that happens way too often, and... It becomes a duty. It becomes something they have to do. It's not something they're not. They're not going to the the Bible with any desire to have it change them. I would so much rather get people excited about God's Word, about the fact that God, your Creator, your Father, has written this for you, and that you can go to it and you can hear from Him to change your life. If you get that, if you fall in love with God's Word, you will be so much better off. We ought to have a genuine longing after Christ. And that will lead us to a genuine longing after truth.